so many of the issues driving inflation and the cost of living crisis people are facing uh, are related to the climate crisis. If we can get off of fossil fuels and electrify our transportation systems, people can save a lot of money. Cost me one-tenth to drive my electric vehicle compared to the cost uh, of a fossil fuel-powered vehicle. If we can help people be able to retrofit their homes and their small businesses, we can help them save money by saving energy. If we can build a circular food economy where we don't waste $32 billion worth of food every year in this country, we can help lower grocery bills. You are listening to the Sustainably Circular podcast. This show is dedicated to the circular economy and how with a few key changes, you can help create a more sustainable world. No scare tactics, no shame. If we are going to do this, we need everyone actively engaged, on board, and including you. Your host is no other than Andy Streisfeld, who is the co-founder and partner at MEA Health, Canada's first stop for PPE recycling. You are here for one thing, to better understand the circular economy and your role in it. Every episode, we dive into the key issues around sustainability and the circular economy so that you can lead others in this new world. So tune into the show, turn up the music volume, and let's get to it. Good Wednesday morning and welcome to Sustainably Circular, the podcast on circular economy and sustainability. Today is episode three of our four-episode arc regarding politicians and the environment. And with us in studio today is Mike Schreiner, leader of the Green Party of Ontario. He is an outspoken advocate for climate action, as well as affordable housing, mental health. And he believes in putting people first before politics. And that's why we have him with us right now. Mike, thanks for being on the show with us this morning. So I start the show like any others. Um, it's, it's a little bit of an homage to the actor, actor studio. Instead of me asking you 12 long-winded um, questions from some obscure French philosopher, I ask one question and one question only. Is what quote, lyric, or something, or person that motivates you to do what you do day in, day out? Yeah, well, Andy, first of all, it's a pleasure to join you. Uh, a quote that I have on my desk uh, at all times is, uh, I choose the right road, not the easy road. And uh, that's been a real guiding philosophy for me uh, throughout my career, uh, both as an entrepreneur and starting some businesses that people said, oh, th- th- those will never succeed. And, you know, 20 years later, still in business. Uh, and it also guides the work I do as the MPB for Guelph, and especially as the leader of the Ontario Green Party. I know when I took over the leadership, you know, most people would say, "Well, there's no way we're gonna you're gonna elect uh, Greens in Ontario or at that time across Canada." And, and you know, here I am, the first Green MPP at Queens Park, and I feel like I'm doing valuable and good work to benefit my constituents here in Guelph and people from across the province. Well, Mike, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. You know, uh, I'll start the questioning this way. We'll we'll move towards uh, the bread and butter. What we do here at Sustainably Circular is we talk about sustainability and circular economy. So we have just passed the provincial election. Um, there are going to be a couple of questions I'm going to throw your way. But the consensus, based on what I've been hearing and what 
I've seen and what has been written is you have a reputation of being a likable, sharp, down-to-earth politician. Just like those that have come before us, those who have set the bar high in Canadian politics, like Tommy Douglas and Ed Broadbent and others, um, you have made a reputation of being the man who could be the leader, who is the person who can take us to the future. So I ask you humbly, uh, what do you feel about that, Mike? How do you, how do you like the fact that, that you are one of the most liked politicians in modern politics today? Well, I mean, I guess I, I feel honored and, and certainly appreciate that people would think that way, um, especially because I've been told in the past that I'm too nice to be successful in politics. And so I've always said, hey, you know what? Um, nice people can succeed in politics as well. And, you know, one of the things that guides me is is a sense of service. And, um, you know, I love being a part of Rotary and the motto is service above self. And that's really how I've always approached leadership and how I approach political leadership. And I think people are hungry for a politics that puts people before party, that really puts getting things done and doing what's best for community, province, country, world ahead of partisan political self-interest. And so that's my guiding guiding approach uh, to the job I do as MPP, as leader of the Ontario Green Party. And I always say to people, I'm more than happy to work across party lines, to put people first, to get things done, to benefit uh, Ontarians. And uh, but I'm also, you know, will hold government accountable and will also be clear and honest with people when I disagree with other politicians, uh, because I think, you know, people deserve to know where I stand on the issues. And I think people want politicians who are willing to work across party lines where you can find agreement to move things forward. Perfect. A segue to your conversation about Guelph and the, the conversation with the Green Party. So we're past the provincial election. We are now heading into municipal elections, which I will ask you shortly. But just doing a, a post-mortem, um, there's, a, there's a feeling here on this show, and we, and as you know, we've, we, this arc that we're doing right now is, is a four-episode arc where we start with municipal politicians. We've gone on to provincial and federal candidates. You represent the leadership of the party. And we have a um, uh, mayor, uh, Kevin Davis of Brantford, coming on next week to talk about leadership from the the mayor's point of view, the the third parties, right? The the other people who are who are not polit- not candidates, but they are leadership and they are in the strata of what what you do. Now, the concern was that after the election was done, and the voter apathy was seen, the right people were elected, wrong people were elected. The question here is that. The Conservative Party of today still does not recognize environment as an issue, sustainability of circular economy. To them, environmentalism is building more electric battery factories. Um, they are not taking any anything seriously. Um, recently, there was an article that there are more progressive-minded conservatives who are now moving towards green because you're offering an opportunity to talk about the environment and have to actually do something about the environment. So my question is, where is the provincial conservatives going wrong with this? Like, why are they not understanding the value of sustainability, climate change, climate emergency? And how does that play out for the next few years? Yeah, I, I just really don't understand why conservative parties here in Ontario, Canada, uh, North America, uh, 
really don't understand the urgency of addressing the climate crisis and why they why they are adhering to this anti-science uh pro-fossil fuel perspective because we know that we can address the the climate crisis reduce climate pollution and build a strong economy at the same time uh and you know there are multiple ways to do that i mean one of the ways of doing that is building circular economies where we reduce and eliminate waste um you know and conserve things which used to be i think part of the term conservative is 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 conserving nature conserving the places we love conserving the resources that that are you know so valuable to our quality of life conserving energy so we can save money i mean there's a whole host of ways in which i feel like climate action and environmental protections would and should align with conservative values but they don't seem to with today's conservative movements uh, and, and, and I think that's very unfortunate from an economic standpoint. It's certainly, um, you know, a deep problem when it comes to ensuring that we have a stable climate and a livable world for ourselves and our children and grandchildren. Uh, and, and so why conservative parties don't understand uh, both the economic and, you know, quality of life, health uh, benefits of clean air, healthy local food, clean water, a stable climate uh, is beyond me uh, because I really feel that uh, you know, making sure that we have an inhabitable planet uh, should not be a partisan political issue. I can certainly see where we might have differences in how we solve the crisis, but it's been unfortunate um, that so many conservative politicians either deny that we're facing a, a climate emergency or advocate for delaying action, uh, which is a new form of denialism. Well, let's talk about the success. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about Guelph. This is um, a, a shining star in not only Ontario, but since you have been at the helm here at the Green Party, I've noticed that Guelph has expanded to, uh, you know, having new clean tech, uh, a new climate economy based business. I know that in conversations um, that you've had in the past, you're a big proponent of buying local, uh, it's supporting the circular economy, so supporting sustainability. So if I'm a mayor and and as as you know, we're, we're heading into municipal politics now. So. On October 24th, Ontarians are going to go out and vote a whole new class of mayors and councillors and trustees. And if I was a civil politician, a municipal politician, reaching out to you saying, hey, I really want to reshape my community like Guelph, what can, what can be done from a green environmental point of view? And what advice would you give as a provincial party leader to these people to be more at the forefront than they are today? Well, first of all, I would say, uh, you know, put solutions uh, and science and evidence ahead of ideology. Uh, there's a whole host of challenges we're facing in Ontario, you know, that housing affordability crisis, climate emergency. So many of our of our communities are struggling with homelessness, uh, with people facing mental health and addictions uh, challenges. And so put 
evidence and solutions first. And I think especially when it comes to embracing economic prosperity, to really embrace the new climate economy. If you look around the world, those are the fastest growing markets. According to Bloomberg, 65 million new jobs uh, in this decade alone will be created in the new climate economy. And so if you want to generate investment, uh, business opportunities, prosperity, additional tax revenue to fund things like housing affordability and better public services. Um, you know, the economic prosperity generated by being a leader in the fastest growing markets, uh, which is the new climate economy, you know, that that's how I would orientate your municipality. I think one of the reasons Guelph has one of the lowest unemployment rates uh, in all of Canada and is considered one of the best places to start a business and invest in creating a new business is that a lot of, you know, innovation is happening here in Guelph in the new climate economy and in the circular uh, economy. Uh, in the case of the circular economy, uh, especially in the circular food economy, Guelph has won the federal government Smart Cities Challenge for uh, building a circular food economy with the goal of creating a number of new businesses, uh, eliminating food waste, and addressing food security issues to address things like hunger in, in our in our community. And it's that type of innovation, that type of risk taking, that type of being at the forefront of emerging markets. I mean, I look at a whole host of things. You know, Guelph has you know, uh, on a per capita basis, more electric vehicle sales than, than any other, other city in the province. We have the largest solar manufacturing facility in the country here. Uh, we have a number of uh, clean tech businesses, everything from, you know, water purification to environmental landscape and design, providing nature-based climate solutions to circular food economy, renewable energy, the list goes on and on. And I think that's one of the things that's made uh, Guelph such a successful community and why it's such a desirable place to live and uh, to grow a business. So if Don Cherry was here right now, he would probably say, you know, great Canadian kid out from the West, uh, where most people now attribute the West to some radical thinking and people are, are, are concerned. You are showing that the West is also a multifaceted uh, social-based, economy-based environmental-based uh, society, which is great for us here in the, in the East. Now, the divide between the West and East, between, you know, they say that the line draws at, at the Manitoba border, but essentially between West and East, we're, we're focusing on the new future, sustainability. I know sustainability is important to you. You've mentioned it in many interviews before. But when the West is, is deeply concerned about oil and, and the manufacturing of these destructive types of chemistries and the east is really trying its best to figure out its way through recycling programs and reclamation and diversion programs. where do you feel the green fit in the middle and, and what direction should we be advocating well for sandy i'm deeply concerned about rising levels of polarization in our society in our economy and in our politics and uh, we, we especially are seeing that south of the border, but it's certainly creeping north of the border as well. And and that polarization is, you know, ideological. It's urban versus rural. It's um, geographic based in terms of um, some of the separatist movements 
you're seeing in Western Canada as well as, you know, there's always a conversation about where Quebec fits into Confederation. And so all those issues deeply, deeply concern me because I think Canada is a, a stronger country when we're united uh, and, you know, have our differences, but but still broadly working together. And, and you know, I'm, I'm deeply concerned that we're seeing a breakdown in that. And even just the rhetoric you see now in politics and on social media. When it comes to Western Canada, I mean, I, I understand and have a sincere appreciation for the economic anxiety and concerns that uh, Western Canadians feel, especially when it comes to the oil and gas sector, uh, because it has generated so much wealth and prosperity uh, over the last 75 years or so. And uh, I would just say that, you know, to Western Canadians, a lot of the skills, whether it's, you know, welding and pipe fitting, resource extraction, energy markets, investment in energy markets, the long-term, you know, uh, return on investment, uh, capital flows that define energy markets, like Western Canada is, is well positioned to succeed in the new climate economy. And so there's huge opportunities for, you know, renewable energy production, green hydrogen production, new innovations happening in the food and agriculture sector, especially things like precision agriculture, which can uh, significantly reduce costs for farmers and environmental inputs, while at the same time maximizing food production and yield. Um, the innovations that are happening in the sustainability of agricultural machinery, uh, you know, the list goes on and on uh, around the opportunities that Western Canadians have in the new climate economy. And so I, I think it's incumbent on the federal government, especially to, to help facilitate and catalyze um, those investments to show people in Western Canada that they can maintain and generate and expand economic opportunities and prosperities, job opportunities to make sure that their families are going to be well taken care of uh, moving forward by being leaders in the new climate economy, because that's where global capital investment flows are going. That's where job creation is going to be. And we don't want to see Western Canadians or any Canadian um, uh, left behind. Like we want everyone to succeed in the new climate economy. And a lot of the skills that, you know, workers have acquired over the past few generations, particularly in the energy sector, are fully transferable to the new climate economy. And so let's create those economic and job opportunities for people so they can succeed, you know, and, and take care of their families. I know time is is short. I know you you have to get back to uh, to to the to the business of of governance. I I wanted to to just work off this for a moment here and and just go now as we move towards the the topic of municipal elections that are coming up now on on the twenty fourth. So we have seen a lot of movement at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. I know you spoke once uh, to them. I know that mayors are challenged now to be the next strata of leadership. So. So I'm, I'm interested to, to, with all the other mayors that have gone come through um, since the declaration of, uh, of a climate emergency in 2019 by the federal government, um, there, are, there are leadership in Vancouver, in Red Deer, uh, in Winnipeg, in Toronto, and elsewhere that um, mayors have taken on a huge mantle 
of leadership when it's come, even during COVID, um, in order to fight the fight that needs to be fought, and that's sustainability and, and climate change. Um, what advice can you give now to both councillor and candidate or mayor who wants to do more um, in order to help you at the provincial level um, when you are trying to bring the next round of political litigation or, or sorry, um, legislation that will help the environment? Yeah, you know, I think one of the most underappreciated roles that municipal governments play in addressing the climate crisis is land use planning. A lot of land use planning decisions happen at, at the municipal level. And, you know, we've had now kind of since World War II, so, you know, 70 years, seven, almost 75 years of land use planning that has really been sprawl-centric and car-centric. And that's why, you know, at least in Ontario, the largest source of climate pollution is from tra the transportation sector. And, and it's also putting huge pressure on municipal budgets. All the infrastructure that has to go into uh, accommodating sprawl development, everything from, you know, hydro lines, sewer lines, water lines, uh, gas lines, uh, roads, uh, all that infrastructure is very, very expensive. And so if we can start doing uh, land use planning decisions uh, where we build communities, increase housing supply to address the housing affordability crisis that's literally affecting every community across uh, the country, we can do that in a way by increasing supply within our existing uh, built environments. That will save municipal budgets. It'll help reduce climate pollution and it will make life more affordable for people uh, because these long, expensive, soul-crushing commutes, um, you know, affect people's pocketbooks and, and their quality of life. And most of those decisions happen at the initial level, level. So that's one. Two is buildings are the second largest source of climate pollution. And there's a number of innovative programs that are happening at the municipal level here in Guelph and in other communities where municipal governments are providing low or zero interest loans to homeowners and small businesses to retrofit their buildings, to make them more energy efficient, to help people save money by saving energy, which also reduces climate pollution, helping people to move away from ever, ever, you know, more expensive natural gas for heating, for example, to uh, lower cost, highly efficient air source heat pumps as we electrify our, our build, building heating systems. Uh, municipalities are playing a leading role. And again, and I'll point to Guelph and electrifying their public transportation systems. Uh, and, you know, so Guelph is in the process now of, uh, you know, transitioning our bus fleet to being fully electric. Uh, so there's a lot of decisions like that that really rest at the municipal level where municipal leaders can help address the cost of living challenges so many families are facing, help address the budget pressures that municipalities are facing, and help reduce climate pollution at the same time. And I think the upper levels of government need to provide the financial support so municipalities can move in those directions. And it doesn't the cost burden of it doesn't always fall onto the property tax base. And I think from a provincial standpoint, um, we need to rethink where municipalities fit 
within the country's governance system and 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 make make sure that municipalities are their own mature form of government and have more autonomy and decision making powers where the province you know doesn't doesn't control them or overrule them or they're the so-called creature of the province uh and, and so i think i think moving forward some of those governance issues are going to be really important to address so municipalities are empowered uh to have the decision making capability and the financial resources to make decisions to increase the quality of life for their residents to help take pressure off their own municipal budgets and to address uh climate pollution at the same time mike this has been fantastic having you here as as we conclude i guess the last question is i i watch you on television i watch you on on on, on news um reports and all that stuff so my my point here is that the people of ontario the people of canada only get to see you in 30 second you know snippets um if you have that minute which i'm giving you right now what what message can you convey to us today about sustainability about circular economy about being green what can we learn from you that we don't hear from you because we don't have the opportunity to hear from you outside of a, a snippet or a or a debate well, I will say it's nice to be on a podcast where you can have more in-depth conversations. And I would think the biggest thing uh, from my perspective is, is so many of the issues driving inflation and the cost of living crisis people are facing uh, are related to the climate crisis. If we can get off of fossil fuels and electrify our transportation systems, people can save a lot of money. Cost me one-tenth to drive my electric vehicle compared to the cost uh, of a fossil fuel powered vehicle. If we can help people be able to retrofit their homes and their small businesses, we can help them save money by saving energy. If we can build a circular food economy where we don't waste $32 billion worth of food every year in this country, we can help lower grocery bills. If we can reduce um, the impacts of the climate crisis, uh, one, by reducing uh, the amount of climate pollution that we're putting into the atmosphere, but two, also looking at nature-based solutions. We can also uh, help address the fact that one of the biggest drivers outside of the Russian, you know, senseless invasion of Ukraine driving food prices up is the drought that's been affecting so many of the major food producing areas around the world, which is creating supply uh, issues, which is driving up food prices. Um, we can help make you know putting food on the table more affordable for people. So for me, one of the biggest issues is connecting how the climate crisis and how solving the climate crisis can help people save money and lower the cost of living. And then related to that, is how investing in a circular economy, investing in the new climate economy, um, those are where job creation is happening. That's where investment is flowing. That's where the you know, next major prosperous businesses are going to be. And if we're going to you know, generate prosperity, economic benefits for people, the tax revenue we need to be able to fund you know, a high quality publicly funded, publicly funded healthcare system, 
you know, a high quality education, both at the, you know, elementary, secondary and post-secondary levels education system to have high quality public services to increase, you know, the quality of life for people. It's making sure that we as Canadians are, are investing in the emerging markets of the new climate economy. So, you know, my final pitch is, is we can address cost of living, we can benefit our economy, and we can reduce climate pollution at the same time, ensuring that we ourselves, as well as our children and grandchildren, have a stable climate and a livable future. Mike Schreiner, leader of the Green Party of Ontario, I thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. And um, again, um, we're going to have all the information for Mike in our show notes. If you want to reach out to him by email, his website for the party. Um, again, a distinct honor, Mike, and I wish you all the best in, in the next uh, electoral, in the next four years. Well, thanks, Andy. And, you know, the work I do at Queen's Park is really important, but I can't, I can't do that work if people are not politically engaged. So I hope all of your list, listeners engage in the political process, not just at election time, but in between elections by reaching out and letting politicians know the issues you want us working on and the things that you want us to be advocating for, you know, both at the municipal level at Queen's Park and in the federal parliament. Thank you again. Again, thanks to Mike Schreiner, leader of the Green Party of Ontario, and all you listeners who have been tuning in to all our episodes in this political arc in regards to the environment and politics. If you like what you hear, please friend us. Please sit on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, if you love what you hear, you can tune in at um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can go straight to our website, www.sustainablycircular.ca, where you can get access to all of these podcasts and leave us any comments or concerns, and we'd be happy to return back to you. We really want this show to be the premier show regarding sustainability and circular economy, and that doesn't happen without your support. So please reach out, challenge us, tell us some subject matter that you want us to tackle, to recommend some guests. We'll be very happy to reach out to them. So on uh, behalf of all of us here, please tune in for our next episode, which will be the final episode with Kevin Davis, mayor of Brantford, Ontario, who is also picking up the mantle now on sustainability and circular economy and is becoming a key driver in his city for that. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Sustainably Circular podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whichever podcast platform you're tuning in from. Much like this show, Andy and the team love getting into the good and the bad and everything in between. So feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show and we will give you a shout out on the next episode. If the episode made you think of someone that needs to hear this message, take a screenshot, send them a message or discuss it with them over coffee. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all in this together. In case you want to learn more about how we can help you with PPE recycling, please visit our website at www.meahealth.ca. Once again, it's www.meahealth.ca. We appreciate you and can't wait for you to join us for the next episode.